tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Boy, have we got a lot to talk about today. I, I'm just, I'm just, God, it's wonderful. Let's Flummoxed? Flummoxed. The voice in my head just said flummoxed. Yes, I am flummoxed by the, the wealth of the readings today. They really are really something. Well, that said, I'd better get to it. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke you, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let us open the big book on the coffee table. And we start the the book of Joel today, uh, a prophet, one of so-called minor prophets. Um, and of course, we don't know much about him. Uh, he may have lived in the ninth century BC, or he may have lived in the fifth or fourth century BC. Um, there's a long-standing tradition that he's buried in Gush Halav, which is a town in, in uh, uh, where does Gush Halav mean? It's it's in the state of Israel, uh, uh, in 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 Galilee. But that's about all we really know about him, and uh, um, that kind of makes it kind of difficult. Kinda, I guess, kinda. Uh, it makes it a little bit difficult. Because in the reading, we read that, that this great um, uh, ruin is going to come upon people. And uh, um, uh, yes, it is a near a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and somberness, like dawn spreading over the mountains of people numerous and mighty. Their like has not been from of old, nor will it be after them, even to the years of distant generations. Now, I'm going to take a bit of a risk here. Um, that that um, there's the salt shaker. Take it with a grain of salt. Uh, Gush Halav is way north, which would have been Israel. And I'm wondering if you know. I'd have to bet on the ninth century. You know, the 800s BC. He's prophesying the coming of the Assyrians. 
Maybe, maybe not. Doesn't matter one way or another because, well, this is one of those things that's always true. Uh, by the way, gird yourselves and weep, O priests, wail, O ministers of the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. Well, we had someone ask uh, about sackcloth yesterday. What was it? And I told them it was, well, the cloth that you make sacks with. And that's literally what it is in Hebrew. The word in Hebrew for sackcloth is sack, S-A-Q. We probably get the word sackcloth from it. It was a coarse, loose cloth that that wouldn't, of course, hold water, but it was used for making bags to transport things like grain. And uh, it was very itchy, and you would make a garment of sackcloth and, and wear it in penance. So, And very interesting, uh, I, it's not a big deal. Uh, this word ministers, I, I want to spend a little time talking about it. Minister. When we talk about a minister, we sometimes it refers to a, uh, a government employee, uh, especially in places like England and Canada. Uh, the, uh, I remember the Monty Python routine about minister, the minister of silly walks, but that's neither here nor there. Um, we think of that, or we think of someone who gets a special parking place at a church, um, a minister. It sounds rather grand, but the word really is one, one who serves. It's kind of a, a high-level servant, but a servant nonetheless, not necessarily a slave. In fact, as I would say, probably not a slave. But the word, it gets complicated because there's another word for a servant, a helper, a shamish in Hebrew, which in Greek becomes diakonos, which literally means table waiter. Um, if you have a Hanukkah menorah, uh, um, you have, is it the eight, can I can't remember how many candles are on a Hanukkah menorah, uh, eight candles, and then you have an extra one, which is called the helper candle or the shamish. Um, the Hanukkah menorah is a little different than the regular menorah because it, it has um, one... Uh, candle for each day that the the it's 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 a nine branch candelabrum yeah it was lit during the eight day jewish holiday of hanukkah so it's eight eight uh, the normal menorah is seven but the the hanukkah menorah is eight because of the miracle of the oil that that, that lasted for eight days but the ninth one is the helper candle and that's the word that is used in hebrew for deacon and of course the word for deacon in latin is minister so there you go this isn't that word it's uh it's a it's a different word in hebrew than than, than helper but it's someone who is a servant uh with responsibility all right um what else do i want to say about this first reading that's enough let's go to the second reading because it's fascinating when Jesus had driven out a demon, some of the crowd said, by the power of Beelzebul, prince of demons. And which is it, Beelzebul or Beelzebub? <laughs> well, Beelzebub uh, and Beelzebul, um, uh, it, it's hard to say. Probably originally it's it's Beelzebul, which is uh, um, a way to say it, Baalzebul, which means Lord or the Baal. Okay, let's back up here. A Baal was... A master, a lord. The word in Yiddish for landlord is balabos, which means the beth is the house and the bal is the lord, the lord of the house, the landlord. It's the same exact word we use, the one who's in control of it, the one who owns it. 
So the Baals were these fertility gods who owned the land, ultimately. Um, you can think of them as one or many, but probably many. There were different Baals. Um, so the Baal Zebul was the lord of the heavenly dwelling or the lord of the great house. Uh, the Belzebub was a play on probably a play on that word because that means lord of the flies. However, in the ancient world, there really were gods of the flies. There were gods of everything. So you had a problem with flies, you invoke the lord of the flies. So it probably was a uh, a, a pun, uh, a derogatory pun, calling the Lord of the Heavenly Dwellings uh, the Lord of the Flies, associated with death and rotting things. Um, if you've ever been to the Holy Land, they got a lot of flies. All right, now you know. But this idea by the I've shared this before, but I'll share it again. By the power of Belzebul, he was one of the seven leading demons, supposedly. And... Uh, um, uh, the method, one of the methods of exorcism in the ancient world, and exorcism was very common. It was, it was almost considered a branch of medicine or the main branch of medicine because everything was blamed on the demons. You know, I got a cold. Oh, it must be a demon. That's why you say things like God bless you when you sneeze uh, because your soul might be low. It's an old superstition even among us. But don't stop saying God bless you. It's a lovely thing to say under any circumstance. But the the idea of um, uh, exorcism, I mean, there were lots of exorcists. There were people who, uh, that was their living, casting out demons. And they would, they would do it with, with uh, all sorts of incantations and feather rattles and magic potions. Jesus just said, get out, and they obeyed him. That's what amazed people about Jesus, that he cast out, not that he cast out demons. Everybody and their brother did that. Rabbis were expected to be exorcists, but he cast them out with authority. He didn't have to dance about and shout. Uh, and this, you know, when, when the scripture says, do not think that you will be heard by multiplying words, I really believe that was a reference to the style of exorcism in the ancient world, that you would get these long lists of demon names, and some of them would be just nonsense words that you'd made up on the chance that it might be the name of a demon, because if you mentioned a bigger demon, it would scare the littler demon away. That's what they're talking about here. By the power of Belzebul, a really big demon, uh, he drives out demons. Um, and Jesus says, you're crazy. Every kingdom divided against itself will be laid waste. If Satan's divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? You say that it's by Belzebul I drive out demons. If I drive them out by demons, who do your people drive them out by? Every every rabbi was a an exorcist. You know, if you say this of me, how are you doing it? Uh, the uh, So... Um, therefore, they will be your, your judges. But very interesting uh, that, that he says, but if it is by the finger of God that I drive out demons. That's fascinating. And, and, and in fact, is that's almost the central point of, of, this, uh, of, this, of this passage. Jesus is calling himself the equivalent and greater than Moses. In Exodus, the 8th chapter, the 19th verse, uh, uh, um, we read that, that uh, the, the, uh, uh, the plagues of Egypt, the, this, this plague of gnats, this is, this is kind of interesting. 
the third plague, the plague of gnats, uh, in in Exodus, well, eight eighteen. Let me let me eight eight seventeen. Let me read this to you. When Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, gnats came upon man and beast. All the dust of the earth turned into gnats throughout the land of Egypt. What are gnats? They're tiny little irritating, biting flies. And we're talking about the Lord of the flies. Are we not Belzebub? All the dust. The magicians tried to produce the gnats using their magic arts, but they could not. And the gnats remained on man and beast. And verse 19 this is the finger of God, the magician said to Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Are you, are you paying attention to this? This is the finger of God. What does Jesus say? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I drive out demons. He, in other words, he's the new Moses. He, he's the finger of God. Uh, by which God made all things. The finger of God, which wrote the commandments, the finger of God who brought about the plagues of Egypt. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is putting himself right up there with Moses and maybe a little beyond. When a strong man fully armed guards his palace, his possessions are safe. But when stronger than he attacks and overcomes him, he takes away the armor on which he relied and distributes the spoil. And I, I I had something about this a while ago, and and people wrote in. And I think that the people wrote in about Jesus is in fact the strong man. Uh, I think that that makes sense. Now, in the rest of the passage, when an unclean spirit goes out of someone, it roams through arid regions searching for rest. I shall return to my home from which I came. But upon returning, he finds it swept clean and put in order. Then he goes and brings back seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, who move in and dwell there. And the last condition of the man is worse than the first. It's fascinating. In other words, uh, um, <laughs> people want an exorcism. Father, I'll never forget a, a, a woman many, many years ago who came to me in the sacristy, and she was convinced that her adolescent son was possessed by a demon because he liked those comic books that had all the monsters and the superheroes and all these uh, things in them. And I so want to say to her, Madam, if I could cast out the demon of, of adolescence, I would be rich. Just kidding, just kidding. Um, but, you know, we, we so want to blame the devil for things. Um, there's a wonderful story. I think it's told of St. Anthony of the Desert, a monk, one of the first monks. And he lived as a hermit in the desert, and he lived in a cave. And he had a little, uh, uh, you know, enclosure blocking off the mouth of the cave. And, and he heard this great noise and this great commotion. And he went out and there was the devil seated in all his satanic majesty outside the cave. And uh, this old monk looked at him, this old saint. And uh, the devil started complaining, said, I don't know why you human beings... Blame us because you're your own worst enemies. We don't do that much. You do it all to yourself. At which point, um, uh, you know, that we don't really have any power since since all that stuff with that fellow in the Holy Land. And and St. Anthony said, finally, you're forced to speak the truth since the you have no power over us since the crucifixion of Christ. And at the mention of the cross of Christ, poof, the devil disappeared. Um I think that's true. We need to understand that, that, that um, 
people want an exorcism or they want they want a, a, a quick fix to the difficulties in their life. But unless that's accompanied by repentance, your situation is going to be worse. And I've never known an exorcism who did not say that one good confession was worth a hundred exorcisms or maybe a thousand exorcisms. One good confession. Uh, the devil is not comfortable in a soul which is in the state of grace. Now, I, I don't consider myself an expert in these things, an aficionado, certainly not. Uh, this is not something to be fooled with or played with or even fascinated by. But it is quite true that if we uh, if we empty ourselves and don't fill the space, well, the devil's happy to refill it. Repentance, in other words, giving yourself over to God is essential. If you're, I've known people who were healed of amazing diseases uh, by the power of prayer, and things got much worse for them after they were healed because they didn't they didn't give their lives to Christ. Uh, that that their healing made them a great was a great convenience because now they could pursue the things that they had wanted to pursue, which were not godly. So that's what Jesus is saying. Uh, when an unclean spirit goes out of someone, it, it, it go, roams through arid regions searching for rest, but not finding it, says, I shall return to the home which I came. He finds it swept clean and put in order. Then he goes back and brings seven other spirits more wicked than himself to dwell there. You know, that, that um, again, I want, I want uh, an exorcism. No, you don't. You want God. You want the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you don't fill your heart with the Holy Spirit, then there are other things that will fill it. And I think that that is true. All right, that said, let's go to a break. We'll come back with letters. Where did I put my letters? Oh, there they are. We'll come back with letters. And uh, the phones will be open at 888-914-9149. I say either, you say neither, and I say neither, either, either, and either, Beelzebub, Beelzebub, the whole thing off, yeah, okay, I am getting hinky saying it, all right, let's go at this juncture, again, the phones are open at 888-914-9149, that's 888- Nine one four nine one four nine. Let us go to letters. Well, this is kind of interesting. It's from Bob. And uh, good morning, Father Simon. I was wondering if you could help me understand the appearances of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. The Spirit is described as a dove in all four Gospels of the baptism of Jesus and tongues as a fire in the Acts of the uh, account of the uh, Pentecost. I always took those descriptions as metaphorical. I thought the crowd certainly saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus, but the closest description they could make of the supernatural event was kind of like a dove. Um, the uh, uh, Let's see here. Uh, okay, kind of like a dove. Similarly, at Pentecost, the Spirit appeared kind of like tongues of fire. Well, that's a good way to put it. The problem is that... Perception. Um, uh, what's the problem? You know, 
I, fascinating. I, you know, I, I often talk about people I know who died and lived to tell about, you know, these beyond and back experiences. And it's fascinating because, well, there was like a, a little wall or there was like this stream. They're describing a boundary and they're trying to see these these spiritual things with with physical eyes or with with eyes accustomed to the physical world. And and I think that probably is what's going on with with the Holy Spirit, though. It's as a dove in the form of a dove or like a dove. Who knows? I mean, we human beings are are designed to to perceive certain things and we perceive them out of our own experience. And it's very confusing. The, the, uh, especially the baptism of Jesus in, in, in the water. Did only John see this? Did only Jesus see this? Did the crowd see this? And it's sort of, you look at the different versions and you say, I don't know. This was a, 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 a spiritual experience in a physical world. And I wish I could answer this in a better way, but you know, we want it A, B, C, and D, and it, it, it doesn't kind of work like that. Um, again, uh, the variations in the text, to me, uh, are, are a great strengthener for the truth of the text because these are eyewitness accounts of, of things that happened. And you get five eyewitness accounts, they're all going to be different. In fact, there's in a court of law, if, if everything is... Um, the same, you know, these people got their story straight and they were coached. So that's the best I can do with that. And I just got a note from, uh, from one of our former producers, another Nick, good old Nick Schmitz. Hello, Nick. And, um, I'm listening to the show and wondering if you could answer this question. Are Catholics the only people who make the sign of the cross? No, 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 of course not. The, the Greeks make it and the Russians, uh, they go, we go left to right, they go right to left, and that's because we're looking at the priest and follow, or we're, we're imitating what the priest does, left to right. They're looking at the priest and following his, his, uh, actions as a mirror image. But, that's what's going on. Um, so, uh, no, no, the, the Orthodox, the Eastern churches, uh, I believe the Church of the, uh, uh of the East, which is, People like the Assyrian Orthodox, that sort of thing, um, they all make the sign of the cross. But interestingly, I think high church Anglicans might. Uh, maybe someone can can inform me of that. Uh, but very interesting. I've noticed it's almost strange that that when a person in the Spanish world, <laughs> in which I lived for most of my ministry, um, leaves the Catholic Church and joins an evangelical or Pentecostal church, the first thing to go is the sign of the cross. And I don't know why that's so. I, I think it might be because we Catholics, our central liturgy, the Eucharist, is thanksgiving for what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, Mass is the unbloody representation, not representation, but representation of the sacrifice of Calvary. And... Uh, I think that we Catholics really remember what Jesus said when he said, now has the hour come for the Son of Man to be glorified in the Gospel of John. When you read that, he's invariably talking about the crucifixion. When some Greeks came, wanted to talk to him, 
they came to offer him, according to the backstory, they, they came to offer him political asylum. And that's why he launches into his thing. Now is the hour come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Unless the grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. You know, they offered him asylum as a philosopher. And he was saying, I'm not a philosopher. I'm the, I'm the lamb of sacrifice. I've come for the purpose of dying. And uh, so uh, we, we, we talk about the glory of God as the cross. The glory of Christ when he was glorified was at the cross because he showed who he truly was. Of course, the resurrection is his glory too. But think about it. Even in the resurrection, he carried the cross because he had the marks of the, the nails in his hands and feet and in his side. So, so yeah, we, traditional uh, sacramental Christians, Christians who celebrate the liturgy of the Eucharist, make the cross. And people who don't understand the liturgy of the Eucharist and the sacrifice of Calvary, they don't make the sign of the cross. So I, that's as I perceive it. And again, I would like information if people know better. So yeah, good to hear from you, Nick, 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 the, Nicholas the first. And, uh, I, I hope you're well. God bless you. All right. Moving along here. Let's see. Where, oh, where are my, my glasses? I think we got time for a couple of few more letters. All right. I wish I, that letter from Bob about the Holy Spirit like a dove or tongues as of fire, that, that as is an important word in the text of Scripture, I think. Okay, let's see here. Good grief. <laughs> Good grief. This is uh, from Maria in Sacramento. Hello, I'm confused about what Catholics believe about the deceased sending signs from heaven. Well, we don't mind hearing from the deceased. But it is a gravely wrong thing to try to communicate with them. Uh, you know, I've, I've known so many people who are in grief and they might have an encounter with someone they love who has died and gone before them. And I think those are legitimate. Uh, the problem is that when we try to, to take those, uh, remember, I always tell you that grace is what's given, sin is what's taken. Uh, I've known so many people. My 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 own godfather. I remember um, his daughter uh, Liz went to the hospital and he was in a coma and he had just been suffering. And she said, "You know, Dad, you've been a good dad. You can go. Just send us a rose." And she got home and uh, her husband came in from outside. And it was very cold and there was one rose still growing. And he picked the rose and brought it to him and said, "Here, this was growing in the garden." The, the phone rang, and uh, uh, it was the hospital saying that her dad, my godfather, had passed away. Um, yeah, those things, I think, happen. Uh, but the problem is when we try to make them happen, we, we open ourselves, well, to, <laughs> to things demonic and in harmony with today's reading. And we don't want to do that. You know, grace is what's given. Sin is what's taken. You know, I myself have never had such an encounter, and I've never had a vision. But I know people who have. So, you know, what God gives you is appropriate to your station in life. And uh, you thank him for it and trust him for the rest. So, yes, I think that we don't object to that. Um, you know, there's often, oh, <laughs> uh, this is one. This is a good one. There was a nun who was valiant, <laughs> Sister Miriam Friday, who, who uh, uh, was killed in, in, in trying to help street people. And uh, she had actually uh, gone ahead with opening a, 
a home for for street people was killed by one of them but um someone who was collaborating with her a priest had to go to italy on on a mission uh, back to his order and he said please sister don't open this facility until i'm back and uh she was gonna do it she did and she was killed by one of the street people and uh a friend of mine, whose name I won't mention, was was praying in the chapel at this. We were all up in the convent, and it was in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, and we we're all up there and and uh, for her funeral, and and uh, this fellow uh, was praying late at night, and he was very worried that that um, Sister Miriam had had died in um, you know in in the service of the Lord, but she had been disobedient and uh, uh this was something that concerned him and uh, uh, uh an older nun a sister teresa i think it was came into the uh the chapel and this friend of mine was grieved and she said what's what's wrong and he said i'm so worried that that sister miriam isn't in heaven yet and uh and this little nun sister teresa said oh yes she is you needn't worry about it and the next day um uh at the funeral, he said to the Mother Superior of the convent, your sister Teresa, really, I should thank her because she so reassured me uh, about Sister Miriam and, and um, you know, in her, her gift to the Lord. And the Mother Superior said, we don't have a Sister Teresa. Sister Teresa, an older nun. There's no Sister Teresa in this convent. Who knows who it was? <laughs> but I suspect it was a... a one of the saints, Teresa. So yeah, the the veil between the world to come, the world, the world that we can't see, and this world is a very thin veil sometimes. And there are people who are kind of thick-headed like me who we can't perceive anything through the veil. But then there are people who do. So I would say, if this happens, fine. Just don't try to make it happen by going to a spiritist or by going to any kind of uh, occult thing. Um, because that you open the door to the devil. Take what God gives and be grateful for it. That would be my advice. And we're going to go to, I think, uh, well, um, let's go to a break. Because I might just go on endlessly with the word of the day. Oh, 888-914-9149. That's our phone number. 888-914-9149. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester. An Illinois Life Insurance Society not available in all states. Yes, this is an, oh, one of the old hippie songs of my youth. Well, that said, let's go to the word of the day. 
Good grief. <laughs> Good grief, Charlie Brown. I want to go back to Camel. Somebody, somebody called yesterday, and his wife had said to him, Wait a minute. A camel through the eye of the needle. And Father Simon is saying that, that it really meant a ship's hawser, a, a thick rope made of camel's hair. Which is it? Why doesn't the church do something about this? Well, first of all, how does this sort of thing happen? Let us look at the word camel. If in 1955 someone had said, give me a camel, they would have been talking about a cigarette. Now, let us say someone's writing this uh, this down, um, and uh, they realize that in the 1840s and 50s, I think it was 1840s, 50s, somewhere around there, that, that the then, I think he was the Secretary of War, of some fellow named Jefferson Davis, decided to import camels to the southwestern desert uh, to see if they would be useful for military transport in the Americas. If you had said, give me a camel in 1850 in the southwest, you would have meant a large surly beast that bites. They really do. Camels give me the creeps. Um, if you've ever been on one, it's not, at least for me, it wasn't the most pleasant of experiences. But you see, words change meaning. And if I'm reading this transcript about uh, some emir giving people camels, and I read it in 1950 instead of 1850, I'm going to think cigarettes. And I'm going to, 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 to write it down that way uh, or to read it that way. This is the, this is the problem with translation. Languages change word meanings. Um, once upon a time, cool referred exclusively to the temperature. Uh, now it refers to other things. They're words that change meaning. And, uh, um, you know, uh, for instance, the phrase hook up. Once upon a time, it meant to meet someone. Yeah, we'll hook up at, uh, at, uh, after work. Now it means something quite different and... Christians shouldn't be doing it. Uh, words change meaning. And, you know, the whole thing is that the idea of camel entering through the eye of a needle, did Jesus really mean that? I maintain it was a really funny thing to say, especially if you understand. And I may be wrong about this. He may have meant the animal passing through the eye of a needle. But it makes more sense to me that the Aramaic word camelon didn't only refer to the beast, it referred to a very strong rope that could be made out of the hair of a camel, uh, the wool of a camel. I don't know how, if there's much wool on a camel, but this camel rope was used to, to tie ships to the dock, very strong, thick rope. And that's kind of funny. You can imagine some guy squinting with his tongue out one side of his mouth, trying to get this thick rope through the eye of a needle. Well, of course, I read that it was a gate in Jerusalem. No, it wasn't. There was a gate in Jerusalem uh, many, many years later called the Eye of the Needle, uh, but it was named for the parable. At the time of Jesus, there was no gate called the Eye of the Needle. You know, I've heard preachers say, well, what happened was if you got to Jerusalem late and the main gates were closed, you could still get in through this small gate called the Eye of the Needle. And the camel would have to get down on all fours and shimmy through 
Good luck doing that with a camel, at least the ones I've met. And, of course, you had to take all of his baggage off, and then you'd put it all back on when you got in the city. That's nonsense. It never happened. It's not so. There was no gate called the Eye of the Needle. So, so, oh, you mean I can't read the scriptures? And Yeah, you can read the scriptures. You can get the main sense of it. And that's part of why the Lord gave us a church. We have 2,000 years of consistent interpretation about these things. And these things are illuminated by archaeology, by textual discoveries, by textual comparisons. But... You know, why well, I want just exactly what the exactly what the Bible says. It's not going to happen, even if you know Latin and Greek. And, you know, I this is why I constantly tell you, I take it with a grain of salt, because I may be wrong. I, I may be wrong about this. Thank you. Uh, oh, you shouldn't say that. Father. Well, it's true. I may be wrong. And, and uh, um, this is a possibility. The main lines of scripture the main themes of scripture are not are not lessened by the problem of looking at the text in fact is they may be enhanced by looking at the text one can look at this particular text in two three four ways and each one of them has a gift to give us from the holy spirit um so uh, some of them are beyond the pale like those people who accuse jesus of racism and sin uh based on their reading of a text uh, and reading something that isn't there. I, of course, refer to the idea that in the passage about uh, it's not uh, good to give the bread of the children to the dogs, the word dog does not appear in that text. Let me say it again. The word dog does not appear in that text. Well, why do we translate it as dog? Because we're translating it wrong. St. Augustine, or not St. Augustine, St. Jerome, when he translated it from from Greek into Latin, uh, um for the Vulgate, the common the common text that he was asked to write uh, around 400 uh, A.D., he looked at it and he saw the word canarion. In one place, he translates it puppy, and in that other place, he translates it dog. Why did he do that? I don't know why he did it, but St. Augustine's translation is perfect. No, it's not. There is no translation that's perfect. You know, the wonder of the scriptures is that it is so accurate you got to remember that they didn't have Xerox machines or printing presses, that everything was transferred from one person to the next. A monk would look at a text and he would copy it in a cold scriptorium and somewhere in, in the Alps, it was cold. His hands were shivering. He had been fasting. He was doing it by, by candlelight or oil lamp and he might've dozed off. And well, where was I in this? The wonder is that the text is so faithful to what we have as the originals. The, 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 the Dead Sea Scrolls are simply amazing. We found a complete text of Isaiah that comes from uh, a little before Jesus, and it is almost word for word exactly what we have today. That's amazing that the text has been uh, handed down so faithfully, but it's not perfect. But I thought the Bible was perfect. Yes, the Bible is perfect. My eyes and ears aren't so good. So you read it, you reread it, you read a different translation, and God will bless you in the reading. Ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. Let's go to phone calls. The phone is ringing. Lloyd, what can I do for you? Yes, uh, I wanted to get a collection that might be available, Barnes & Noble's Amazon somewhere, 
of a collection of writings of uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI. I heard mm-hmm. one thing I heard of was the spirit of the liturgy, and yes. I heard also other, station, other shows. I don't remember the names of my conservative religious and conservative political writings. That might be in well, a collection what you can, or more than one. What the, the, the best I can recommend is his book, Jesus. It is one of the best Bible study books written. Jesus of uh-huh. Nazareth. Excellent. Uh-huh. Spirit of Liturgy is excellent. His encyclicals are That's excellent. Um, yeah, so so just look online, encyclicals of, of Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, and they will come up. You can get them. You can get those uh, online, I'm sure, with no problem. So I hope that helps, Lloyd. His, he was a great thinker, a great mind. Okay. Say okay, that again? You. You're welcome, Lloyd. Thanks encyclical. for calling in. Okay. Kathy from Chicago, what can I do for you? Hi, Father. Yes, uh, we have a 25-year-old daughter who will be entering into the Poor Clares mm. Cloistered Monastery uh, in a few months. And uh, we're newer Catholics, and I'm asking if you can help me understand why the um, the cloistering and being cut off from family, we're very close, and mm-hmm, yeah. kind of cut off from the world. And help me understand that, please. It is really tough. It is a very tough thing, and it's not a call that everyone has. Um, the first thing I can say is that those people who genuinely have a call to a cloistered life are remarkably happy. Um, uh, she's not cutting herself off from you. She's cutting herself off from things that would distract her from her primary relationship, which is with Christ. And again, it's a special vocation. I'm a priest, but I never had a vocation to that cloistered life. Um, the, as I understand the restrictions of the cloister, um, lessen as a, as a person grows in the vocation, but I, I know it's a tough thing, especially for someone who doesn't understand the, the power of, of prayer. She's, she's giving herself sacrificially to pray for the, the world, which desperately needs prayer and to devote herself almost exclusively to the most important, um, relationship in her life, which is Christ, and the most important relationship in your life. Um, right now, it seems very difficult. Uh, but as she goes along it, I think you'll understand more fully um, the beauty of what she's doing. It's not its not for everyone, and it may not be for her. You know, that, that um, um, I wish I could make it more understandable, but, but we have this tradition that goes all the way back 1,700 years, even 1,800 years to the, the, the desert fathers. Um, uh, these people who went off into the desert to live lives completely with Christ. I, I can't imagine mm-hmm. that helps a mother, but uh, uh, as you're not going to lose all contact with her. And, uh, you know, there are all sorts of people who lose contact with their children because of sin and this mm-hmm. is quite the opposite, and uh, uh, you're not going to lose contact with her. If one thing, you're going to know exactly where she is every night and day, right. and you you will be able to to communicate with her uh, as as it unfolds. And uh, she's not going to love you any less for it. Uh, I know it's it's really tough. So, in fact, is you know one of okay. the things uh, if if you live near the 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 monastery that she's joining, you can actually go to mass there. Uh, the masses are open to the public, though the nuns 
um, uh, the uh, I was just told the one in Rockford is, is a is a great cloister. This is a really important. These are kind of the Marines of Catholicism. They're the ones who are foremost in the battle against evil. So it's a tough thing. But on the other hand, I think you'll find it a great blessing in the long run. And I will be praying for you because uh, I, I remember um, uh, my sisters. Uh, I had a sister who went into a, a cloistered convent and uh, that was before the, the council. And uh, she did not stay, but she was there for many years and it was tough. So I'll be praying for you, Kathy. God bless you. And, Thank, and thank uh, you. Thank Her you. sacrifice is also yours. God bless you. Let's go thank to you. Don, who's calling from Silicon Valley, California. All right. Good what morning, can I do Father. for you, Don? Good morning. Well, I've been listening to your uh, programs, and I find them very informative. I myself <clears throat> am Jewish, and oh my, can, oh, I, do, I'm do you have any? I was just very distracted. I was thinking, do you have people over in, in the Eretz? And there is Israel. Yes, I do. Oh, Friends and relatives both. Yes, our, thank our, you. Our, our prayers, our prayers are with you. Uh, but go on, thank go you. on, Don. Sorry to interrupt uh, you. That, uh, I was raised uh, with not, not much Torah in the Reform movement, mm -hmm. and yeah. I'm in my late seventies now. And I started ah. studying at Orthodox synagogues mm -hmm. <clears throat> maybe forty years ago. And one of the things I was enlightened about is about this uh, this devil. And yeah. uh, in, in Hebrew, I've forgotten the word, Adri, but it's the same word in Hebrew that can mean either angel or demon. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. In, in Isaiah, I think it's 46 or 45, God says that, you know, he brings forth light and also darkness. He creates yeah. good and he causes evil. And then he says, besides me, there is none else. Yes. So this idea yes, of that... a fallen angel uh, is alien to Torah. It's, it's, well, it's frankly, from Torah standards, it's sort of polytheistic. Yep. Well, you know, it's very interesting. I, I, I discussed this at great length with my friend Rabbi Lefkowitz, may he rest in peace, um, that, that, um, there is, uh, you know, the, the theology, oddly enough, of Star Wars is very Kabbalistic. It's very Jewish in a way, because you have the dark side and the light side uh, that, that I have no other. Um, the What we're doing as Christians is we're kind of remembering a belief that was more common at the time of at the time of, of, of the Second Temple, that, that uh, you, right. you still have rabbi exorcists. Among the Sephardi, that 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 they would uh, cling to that older idea. But you're right that that in Torah, the first five books of of the Scriptures, uh, for those who don't know what Torah is, um, there's no mention of uh, uh, really even of of angels. Uh, the word just is a messenger, and it doesn't really mean mean uh, angel. It it's it's was a belief common at the time of Christ, and we Christians have have continued that that sense of the devil um that uh, that um you might find it some in something like the book of job of course if you're jewish uh, the other scriptures are commentary on torah uh that that you know you might say well it says in the book of isaiah well that's isaiah it isn't torah but you're absolutely right it doesn't appear in torah but but um it does seem to appear in the experience of 
of people, both Jewish and and uh, uh, Christian. I don't know if that helps at all. Very interesting. And um, from my standpoint, growing up, most of my half of my friends were Catholic Christians, mm-hmm. and they were mm-hmm. they didn't try, you know, to. T- Tell me to recite the sinner's prayer to avoid eternity, eternity <laughs> in the lake of fire, etc. It was some of the yeah. uh, Protestant fundamentalists uh, who, who gave me yeah. a semi-bad time to recite the sinner's <laughs> prayer right now. Or everything would be lost. And I, then I want to ask him, well, what about people like Torquemada? Did they uh, get an express ticket to heaven? <laughs> I don't know about Torquemada, but I know that I think that is actually a, a, a very serious difference between Judaism and Christianity. We do believe in if there's repentance and a radical forgiveness. Um, uh, I remember talking about that also with with, uh, with Rabbi Lefkowitz. But yeah, the uh, sinner's prayer is always good. But on the other hand, you know, I. <laughs> You know, what's the couplet, how out of God to choose the Jews? They, they are chosen, and uh, we owe such a great debt of, of, uh, of affection and of just of civilization to the Jews. So I'm honored that you listen, Don, and uh, maybe I can comment on that at greater length. I'd have to brush up on it, but God bless you, and thanks for calling. Quickly, let's go to Alexis. We just have a little time. Alexis, who's calling us uh, from Minnesota. Alexis, what can I do for you? I just heard the the caller call in about a daughter entering monastic life, and I just wanted Mm -hmm. to share, my sister entered the convent about eight years ago in Lake Elmo. She's a Carmelite, and Mm. we actually make more of a point to get there for the visits. It used to be monthly, and now it's about quarterly since she made solemn vows. And without that prodding from my mom, we might not get together, the rest of us siblings, as much as we do to visit at Mm. this monastery. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned in your comment that your family dynamic is actually improved by her, by her, uh, her, her commitment. And I found that was true. That when you visited in the convent, you visited. That's what you did. It wasn't just this. Yeah, I'll see. You. Yeah, I gotta go. You know, it was not informal. It was very focused. So, thanks so much for calling in, Alexis. Leo, we just got a few seconds. Who was the first person to accept Jesus? Why, our Blessed Mother. That's who. Mother Mary. And yep. that's a uniting Our blessed mother. Blessed mother. And so the Protestants, we're all Christians, owe a debt of gratitude to Our Lady. Well, I certainly think so. All generations will call me blessed. And I hear music in my head, which means we're going to Drew, and he certainly calls the Blessed Mother blessed, as we all should. It's in the Bible, the big book, on the coffee table.